Becca Borelli, and this is episode two of Secret Sauce. I am really excited to be recording this. I um, <laughs> I wanted to share sort of a, I, I'm almost more, I'm sorry, like, let me back up the train. I'm almost more excited to record this episode than the first one because for this episode, what I really wanted to do was dive deep into one of my primary motivations for doing this podcast. In the last episode, I talked about what secret sauce means to me, the overarching umbrella for this podcast and how I think that functions in creative people's lives. But the topic today, um, to me is what secret sauce is really going to be about. Um, and the title is we're artists, we're SAF. And before I tell you what that, um, is an acronym, I feel like I have a fucking master's degree and sometimes I don't feel like I can talk good, talk good, talk well. Um, I think acronym is the right, I want to Google, make sure that I'm using the right word, but we'll just go with it. If any, if any of you want to give me some leeway, if I'm wrong, (laughs) um, I want to tell you what SAF stands for, but before I do, if you are listening to this publicly on a speaker with little children around, you might want to put some earbuds in or listen to it later because SAF is a more PG-13 abbreviation, if you will. So go ahead and do that right now. Okay. So we are artists, we are SAF stands for sensitive as fuck. And I want to tell you the story behind SAF because it actually has its roots in my professional history um, as an artist. I want to talk to you about how sensitivity manifested in my life when I was younger and how some of the things that happened in my career early on really reshaped the stories that I had been telling myself about my sensitivity. And the reason I wanted to do not just an episode on this, but to make this one of the themes of this entire podcast is that I really feel that renegotiating our relationship as artists and creative people with our sensitivity is one of the most important and powerful steps that we are being called collectively to take right now on this planet. And here's why I think that. I think that because this planet, and maybe you'll all, you'll disagree with this, but for me, from my perspective, this planet needs artists and their perspectives more than ever. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in more detail in the third episode, but um, artists have sort of the secret sauce. They have the thing the planet is needing right now. And when I say the thing, I don't mean one thing, but I mean, collectively, each artist has a contribution that's very needed right now. And before we can serve other people creatively, we have to renegotiate our relationship with our sensitivity. And and I say that from being an, a person who 20 years ago could never have worked for herself, literally never. When I, <laughs> I remember when I first started having a lot of real professional success, like doing big murals for Dell Children's Hospital and University Hospital in Cleveland and doing murals for Visa and having like larger clients. I remember friends of mine from younger, younger years, like high school and undergrad, were like taking to social media to 
share my success story. And I really, (laughs) I really think one of the reasons is because they knew how fucking hard I worked and how far I had to come on my inside, (laughs) y'all, because since I was sensitive, like this is how sensitive I, I want to say it was in 2018. Yeah. So it was like two years ago. Um, my husband and I go home to Cleveland where we're both from every Christmas to see our families. And a couple years ago, while we were home at Christmas, my, um, former childhood youth group. Okay. My mom, um, for those of you that know me closely, I have the coolest parents. Um, my mom is a minister and my dad is an engineer (laughs) and I love, like, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me how fabulous, um, of an upbringing I had because of that. And in so many ways, but we grew up going to church every Sunday and, um, we, I was in a youth group and, when I was 12, we created a time capsule. We buried it in the church and we set the clock to come back 25 years later and unearth it. So, so here I am, I'm 37 years old. (laughs) We are the, the people that were available. We meet, we pull this thing out of the attic of the church and we open it up together. And one of the things that was in there was this cassette tape, y'all, that we had recorded (laughs) And they asked us each the same set of questions. And I think one of them was, where do you think you'll be in 25 years? And Jason, my husband, was with me when we were playing this cassette tape. And I remember later when we were driving home, even he, who is very, he's like a, if you know Jason, he's such a pragmatic relaxed, not dramatic kind of guy. Right. And even he said, who the fuck was that? (laughs) Like it gets to me on this recorded, this cassette tape. And they, they say, Oh, Becca, this is 12 year old Becca talking. Hey, tell us what you think you're gonna be doing in 25 years. And, And this is what, this is what I do. I go, well, like literally that long of a pause before I go, well, it was like listening to Eeyore, y'all, like a way more depressed version of Eeyore. I, I, I barely recognize myself. It was like, and Jason was just like, wow, like this was, this was my wife when she was 12. The sensitivity that I felt was, was the same then as it is now, by the way. But it was, I was so victimized by it then. I really just felt like I wasn't meant to be on the planet. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I want to share that because I feel like people hear me now, like, talk. I love talking. I love podcasting. I love people. You know, um, those things are true. I'm not faking it. <laughs> but where I came from as a child is, um, has, has been a long journey. And if you feel like a depressed version of Eeyore right now, so victimized by this planet and your life on it, I want to tell the story so that, you know, I know how you feel. Um, I really, really struggled just being a human when I was little. 
And I didn't know why I, I had no, I just felt like there was something inherently wrong with me, which is what I think a lot of little kids feel like, you know, that the ones that are really sensitive. Um, and, and of course now with all of the perspective of adulthood and, you know, decades of life under my belt, I realize that I was just feeling so much of the underbelly of the world and I didn't have any help navigating that for my family or friends or culture. And this podcast, I want to be that help. Um, and I feel like everybody is kind of coming at this from a different place. Some people are not depressed versions of Eeyore. Some people are just like crying for no reason sometimes. And and I don't even like saying that phrase, crying for no reason um, means crying for a reason you can't articulate. But I really believe that when we're sensitive, all of the feelings we have are for a actual reason. <laughs> it's just usually a reason that's not in the physical plane. And so it's harder to identify. So I want to tell the story of how I stopped being victimized by my sensitivity. Um, take what resonates with you leave the rest. This is a story that's a little out there. Um, some people are going to really jam on it. Some people are going to jam on parts of it. Some people have already stopped listening to this episode, probably people that are not identifying as sensitive and that's cool. This is for the sensitive peeps. I hope that you find it helpful. Um, because this is the story of how I kind of truly renegotiated my relationship with this crap. So after grad school, I used to be a school teacher, taught kindergarten through fourth grade art for five, six years, moved to Austin, went to grad school. After grad school, I decided not to go back to public school teaching. This is something I talk about a lot on social media. And I went into sign painting at Trader Joe's for a couple of years. I learned a lot about making art for other people. And while I was there, I worked with a couple artists in the back. And one of them, we got really close and I happened to be telling him about how sensitive I was feeling. And I, I didn't, I was still in the, I'm stressed by my sensitivity phase. I had no idea why I was feeling like shit, but I was feeling like shit. And I was really stressed out about it because when I had moved to Austin in 2010, my life, y'all broke open in the most beautiful way. I was so happy and I thought it was just because I was in Austin, but really why I was so happy is because two things happened in Austin that were really good for my sensitivity, but I didn't know it. The first one was my car broke down. And for almost a year, I biked everywhere. And the second thing was that I was waiting tables while I was going to grad school. So I was getting this tremendous amount of physical exercise just baked into my everyday and I didn't know how good that was for me, but it was so good for me that I completely stopped taking all anti-anxiety medication. I was so happy. I was meditating every day. I had the most lovely circle of friends. I was making art for the first time in like four or five years. And I really thought, oh, moving I thought it was that I had moved to Austin though right like I, I, I still didn't understand and I was like oh my gosh I moved to Austin look how happy I am this is the best decision I ever made I will never go back to being sad and anxious ever again <laughs> but then I graduate from college 
I get a car and I go take a job sitting in a back room making art and all that shit flared up so bad. I was having anxiety all day long for seemingly no reason. I was having terrible insomnia. I was crying all the time and I was just mortified. Like here I was back to where I had been before I'd moved to Texas and I felt like a total failure. And I was kind of telling this artist friend, like not, like not deep diving into this topic where we're at work, you know, but I'm kind of just sharing with him some of my concerns about how sensitive I was. And he said, oh, you know what that makes me think of? He said, it makes me think of this punk band I love, and I don't remember the name of it anymore. Um, He said, but I was listening to an interview with them, and they were talking about how, you know, sensitivity is how we do our work. And I said, come again? (laughs) And he goes, yeah, like, that's how we do what we do, right? Like, we're sensitive to the world, and we make art about it. And (laughs) y'all... I was 34 by this point, and I still can't believe I made it that long in my life without it ever occurring to me that there was anything positive about my sensitivity for real. This was the most glorious new idea that I'd ever heard. Like, it blew me open in the best way. And he's like, I'm going to send this to you. And, and he couldn't find the interview, but he ends up sending me this photo of the band. And of course they're like a punk band, right? They're all wearing black and they have spiky hair and all the piercings and tats and everything. And someone had used like a meme generator to like put yellow black lettering at the bottom of this photo. And it said, we're artists, we're sensitive as fuck, but it wasn't a victim, uh, It wasn't victim language, you know, it was, we're sensitive and that's fucking awesome. That was the energy of this photo. And I kept it on my phone forever because I truly had, it had truly never occurred to me that there was anything good about being sensitive. So I worked at Trader Joe's for two years, two and a half years, and I started to get a lot of confidence with art making. I was getting lots of requests to do art outside of Trader Joe's. And I was making a lot. There was the potential to make more money out there. Um, and so I thought a little bit about it, and I decided to go back to fine dining. I used to um, wait tables at the Four Seasons Hotel during grad school. I had some connections still in hospitality. And on, this is a story for another time. But <laughs> if y'all, all, all of my non-hospitality friends listening to this... The money in fine dining, if you're fortunate enough to get to work in it, is crazy. I I was making more working two days a week at the Four Seasons than I did full-time as a school teacher. Like, talk about priorities in our culture, you know? I like So I decided to go back to fine dining. I almost immediately, with very little effort, get hired at a steakhouse, um, a pretty fancy steakhouse in Austin. I put in my two-week notice at Trader Joe's, and I decide I'm going to work two or three nights at this steakhouse and start doing art the other times and just, like, see what happens. I have a master's. I feel like I can figure it out if everything goes to shit. I'll just go back to Trader Joe's or teaching or whatever. It was an exciting time, a scary time, but an exciting time. So I felt like everything was in alignment. I've talked about this story before. So if you've listened to Instagram TV, you've heard this story, but I immediately started like as early as the interview, 
I immediately started feeling like I was a terrible fit at this restaurant. But it didn't occur to me that maybe the restaurant was a terrible fit for me. I was still so victimized by my sensitivity that the assumption was I'm too sensitive to be here at this badass, swanky steakhouse. Like, I don't belong here. And I have to keep them from realizing it. I have to keep them from seeing how sensitive I am. I have to fake it till I make it. And eventually I'll be good enough at my job that no one will know how sensitive I am. And this was the strategy that I had taken my whole life in everything I ever did, (laughs) you know? And the thing that was different about this job is that nothing I did hit it. I was trying to hide it and I could, y'all, I couldn't hide it. Like, and it was bad. Like when I say bad, I mean like going into the bathroom almost every shift and crying and not like little tears, like glistening in the corner of my eye, like sobbing, like a baby. I felt I know this sounds crazy. Um, It's not crazy to me anymore. I felt crazy to me then, and it might sound crazy to people um, outside of the context of being a sensitive person, but I feel like people who are really sensitive can relate to what I'm about to say. I felt so unsafe in that restaurant, and when I say unsafe, I mean energetically unsafe. I felt like everyone was judging the shit out of me. (laughs) And not only that, but that they were actively wanting me out of there. They were actively wanting to expose how sensitive I was, that nobody liked me. I, and I couldn't manage the energy. Like I wanted to so badly because there was nothing happening in my physical environment to indicate that any of this shit was true. Nobody was saying mean things to me. Nobody was giving me mean looks. Um, It was really bizarre. And I did, I felt absolutely crazy. And I remember even my trainer, he's like, he was such the perfect person to navigate this terribly scary situation with. He was a sensitive person himself, but much more grounded than me at the time. Um, (laughs) and he was like, Hey, look, like you got to stop crying. People are going to judge you for that. (laughs) And then, and then they absolutely, you know, were, um, As my training progressed, it became very clear that people were starting to do the thing I was most afraid of. And that was judge the shit out of me, you know? So, but I'm I'm mucking through this this training. Um, I get to the end of like, I think it was like, it was a pretty long training period. It was two or three weeks. And then I take this huge like 200 question test, which is pretty par for the course in fine dining. Um, I pass it. I think, cool, I'm finally ready to like start making money. And the GM pulls me aside and he's like, Hey, look, he's like, I know you passed the test. He goes, but honestly, we were, you know, we were expecting more from you. Basically saying you're crying in the bathroom. What the fuck? You know, he's like, so I think, um, this isn't going to work. And basically he let me go. It was the first job I've ever been let go from. And I was, I was devastated, but not only, not only devastated y'all, I was convinced that this was proof that I was too sensitive to hack it in, on my own, that I'd taken this risk. I had left this stable job with health insurance, making art, 
um, with a, a supportive team. I had gone out on my own and immediately failed. And I felt like it was the universe being like, you know, go back, go back to safe land, Borelli. You're not, you're not going to hack it out here in the ocean, you know? So I go home. Um, it's Christmas time. This is what was crazy. It was Christmas time. I have, I now have no job, no money. I'm broke. I was, I was dating my now husband, but we weren't living together yet. I was still, you know, having lots of bills on my own. I was feeling a lot of anxiety about it. And lo and behold, the next day I get a phone call from my friend, Lisa. And Lisa is one of those friends that just, she's like a lighthouse. I, she beams, she beams out over her circle of friends. And if one of them is in trouble, she immediately knows it. And she called and she's like, Beck, are you okay? And I burst into tears. Not okay. You know, I'm not okay. I'm like telling her what a loser I am. Clearly I'm too sensitive and da, da, da. And she listens and waits till I'm done feeling sorry for myself. And then she says, Hey Beck, like you've been sensitive your whole fucking life. She goes, no one has ever let you go from a job because of that. She goes, in fact, everyone's loved that about you. It's one of the things that makes you awesome. So she's like literally reiterating this thing that I had learned in Trader Joe's with that artist. Right. And then she says the most like, uh, it was the second light bulb moment of the same year. Pretty much. She says, if these people view your sensitivity as a liability, why do you even want to fucking work there? Oh, it was just like the best explosion. It was like she took dynamite to this story once and for all in my mind. And that was the problem isn't with you, Becca. Maybe the problem is with them. And if you're sensitive, you should only be around people that value that about you. Fast forward Oh, like a couple years down the pike. By this point, I'm working in a restaurant that is, we all used to laugh that all of the servers and the management were, and the, and the executive chef, we were all empaths. Everyone was super sensitive and everyone got along. I, I cried no times in this restaurant. It was amazing. I was so happy there. It was the restaurant that um, fueled my small business and it was the last place I ever worked for someone else before I began uh, my illustration work. And while I was there, I get a phone call from the trainer at this steakhouse. And he's also, by the way, an artist. And he was like, hey, can we meet for coffee sometime? I'm starting to launch a couple of ideas and I just wanted to run it by you. I know you've been making your own art on the side. I'd love to ask you some questions. And I was so excited. I hadn't talked to him in forever. And so we sit down and we're getting coffee and he's showing me some of his work. And and he says, hey, I got to tell you, he goes, after you left, I realized how much of how you were feeling was connected to the restaurant. He said like two or three weeks after you quit or after you were let go, he said there was this mass exodus of management. All of these managers left. All of this crap just hit the fan. He said there was all kinds of drama with the owner. And I was just getting like goosebumps from head to toe. And this sort of conversation with him was the final, I guess, step in me understanding how my sensitivity functioned in the world. 
that a lot of the stuff that makes me feel crazy is usually just picking up on the undersurface of the environments I'm in. Why did I tell this story? Okay, so I told this story because I wanted to bridge any type of gap that I could between my experience and other people's. I am fully aware that most of you listening to this don't share the same kind of experience, and yet you'd probably, I'm certain, not probably, I'm certain that everyone listening to this has a version of this experience where they've internalized a lot of shame and guilt and frustration around how they interact with the world and their sensitivity and what would change in our lives if we shifted the stories that we were telling ourselves about the ways that we interact with the world. Before I was 34, the story I told myself was, you are a weirdo and you have to hide that because if other people really see the stuff that you struggle with, they're going to think that you're nuts. And the only way for you to exist on this planet is to get a grip and to figure out a way to change this thing about yourself. And that was how I approached it. Um, and it, it definitely, it, it functioned y'all. That was, that's the thing that makes it so challenging is it functioned. I absolutely was able to keep a full-time job where I excelled and got awards (laughs) and I had a social life and a dating life and I paid my bills. I existed and I was internally drowning for the first 34 years of my life with a few pronounced breaks in there, which I'm going to talk about in uh, future episodes. But, and, and suddenly I hit the age of 34. I had these experiences that I shared with you in this episode and the story shifted. And the story that I told myself going forward was, you're not a weirdo, you're sensitive and you're sensitive for a reason. You are here to use it. Um, you may have seen this phrase, um, circulating the internet, but in case you haven't, I'm going to share it now, or maybe you, maybe just to remind you, um, and the phrase is, if you feel like you don't fit in on this planet, it's because you're here to create a new one. And I love that. I think a lot of artists feel that way because they are here to create something new and collectively, I would like artists to wake up to that power because the thing that's keeping them from creating really innovative new things through their work is the fear that they're fucking weird. (laughs) And that time is ending rapidly right now. And the first step for me was telling myself new stories about my sensitivity. And that's what this episode is about. What are the stories that you tell yourself that keep you from doing really innovative, special, world-changing work, right? What can you change in your life to make being a sensitive person easier? I'm going to talk about that in future episodes. How did I shift my like routines during the day? How did I shift my environments? How did I shift the people that I choose to hang out with? How did I shift all kinds of things to 
adapt my newfound understanding of sensitivity to my life. Because prior to identifying as sensitive and that sensitivity being a superpower, I put myself into all kinds of situations that were absolutely terrible for my sensitivity because I had no idea. No idea. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in episode three. So in the meantime, friends, I hope you're taking care of yourself and I hope this gives you some comfort. All of these episodes um, are, are my, it's my hope to give you comfort and the parts that don't give you comfort, leave them. You have my full permission. Take what resonates with you, as I say, and leave the rest. The parts that don't resonate, um, I want you to leave them. And yeah, that's it. Until next time. Peace.